You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Good evening. Hi. Um, hello. Uh, so tonight, um, I'm going to be sharing about emotionally healthy spirituality and grief and loss. Um, like Angela said, my name is Bianca Danda. Um, I am a therapist, and I'm currently getting my hours to get licensed, hopefully next year. Um, I do work with low-income families in Watts. That is real. I work in the projects. Yeah, so you know, I got this. Um, (laughs) And let's just say I deal with grief and loss every day, all day. Um, I do work with kids and their families, and, you know, these kids have gone through everything from abuse to, you know, even just the trauma of living in the projects, hearing gunshots every single night, and... Um, They've lost parents, they've lost friends, they've lost just even their, I don't know, sensitivity to those kinds of things. So so anyway, so that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. So bear with me. I'm really nervous. Uh, So first things first, I'm no expert on the matter. Um, It's a touchy subject, and it's tricky to speak on because there's no right or wrong way, no blueprint, no way, step-by-step program to deal with loss. Um, So first, we're going to talk about loss. Um, In the book, it talks about loss. It describes it. There we go. It describes it as an alien invasion of our lives. So it comes suddenly, unexpected, it's not planned, and it just transforms our lives forever. Um, And in the book, it also says it stems from our limits, which are there to keep us grounded and humble. Um, Loss is subjective and different for every person. So let's talk about the different kinds of loss. There you go. Um, The main one is the death, death of a loved one, a pet, all of the above, a job, health, friendships, relationships, heartbreaks, um, wealth and possessions, and the list can go on. So everyone experiences loss at some point in their lives. When was your first experience with loss? So I'll share about mine. Um, my first experience with death, actually, was when I was eight years old. My family lived in Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, <laughs> by the way, my parents are in the mission team, so we lived in different places. I was born in Boston, but and my parents are Puerto Rican, but we lived in Mexico. So I always tell people, by blood, I'm Puerto Rican, and by heart, I'm Mexican. Mexico. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we were in Guadalajara. My parents had just returned from a leaders meeting in Mexico City, um, and my grandma, my mom's mom, had died of a heart attack. Um, I didn't grow up near my grandparents because we moved so many places, and they, they lived in Puerto Rico, but, you know, they're still my grandparents. I still knew them. Um, and all I can say is I'll never forget that day. You never forget. I mean, the moment you find out about a loss or something, you it stays in your mind forever. Um, that was the first time I had seen my mom cry. Now, not to say my mom's all tough and everything, but, you know, it's your parents don't really show their softer sides until you're a little bit older. Um, so 
yeah, that was the first time I'd seen my mom cry. And, um, and I had known loss. I mean, I moved around so much. So I had lost friends. I had lost my Barbies. You know, I had lost, <laughs> I had lost different things, like, you know, things, you know, people, you know, that I didn't keep in touch with. There was no Facebook or email back then. So, yeah, I'm 32 years old. Um, Angels, you don't want to say, but it's okay. I don't mind. I like being in my 30s. Ask my friends. Um, but at that moment, when I, when I saw my mom cry for the first time ever, something changed in me. Um, I felt more grown up. You know, I felt like I saw my mom differently. She's not like the tough mom, like always strong, always doing the right thing. She, she was broken, you know. Um, she wasn't, she wasn't weak. I didn't see her as weak, but a human, not the superhuman that I saw her to be. I remember the funeral. It was the first funeral I'd ever been to. It was open casket. And I remember looking at my grandma and she was sleeping. It looked like she was sleeping. She was beautiful. And, um, I was like, is she really gone? Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that at the time, you know, it was kind of like, it was pretty hazy. Um, so it was pretty surreal. And I, again, I will never forget that day. Um, So over the years since then, the year after that, we moved to Puerto Rico, lost my other grandmother um, to cancer. And then, you know, since then, I've lost the rest of my my grandfathers, both passed away when I was a little older, and I've lost friends. I'm at the age right now where my friends are losing their parents, Um, and then, you know, I've lost friends that I've grown up with to cancer and different tragedies. So, yeah, so, but it doesn't make me an expert. Everyone experiences loss differently. Um, one of the interesting things that, um, I study, I studied sociology at UCLA, go Bruins. And (laughs) I took this one class, um, the sociology of family, pretty interesting class. But one of the first assignments that we had was to create a timeline, not a timeline like of our life so far, but our futures. And of course, everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, a five, 10 year plan, my career, my marriage, kids where I'm going to live, all the vacations I'm going to take. So everyone's, like, really excited, like, yeah, I can do that. You know, we don't know, but it's nice to dream, right? Um, And then she said, and then she said, well, don't just include the good stuff. Also include what age do you think you're going to lose your mom? What age do you think you're going to lose your dad? How old do you think you're going to be when when you die? Um, Let's just say, you know, the energy kind of dropped in the room (laughs) in that moment. We're all like, what? (laughs) Because you don't think about those things, you know. We don't think, oh, the future, what's it going to hold on? I mean, we always think about our futures. We always think about the positive things. We don't think about, like, man, how old am I going to be when my mom dies? And how is she going to die? And how am I going to die? And I know that sounds so morbid, but, you know, sociology makes you think about those things. So the point is, experiencing loss changes people. It changes people's perspectives on life, on family, what's important. So how do we deal? So we're moving on to... Grief. Now, most of you know the five stages of grief. All right, so this is, you know, well-known through psychology and everything. So first stage, I mean, they're not step-by-step, like, oh, we're going to go through this first and this second and this third. They're kind of interchangeable. You know, sometimes people start off with anger. Some people start off with depression and bargaining. Um, But I'll just go through these real quick. Um, Denial. Oh, I'm fine. I'll be okay. And as Christians, God's in control. There's a reason for everything. Time will heal. Um, Anger. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God do this? Why me, God? Why, God, why? 
depression. I just want to be alone. I don't want to talk to anyone or see anyone. I don't want to pray. I don't want to talk to God. I can't. I can't go on. I can't get out of bed. Um, Bargaining. If only I would have done or said this to this person. If only this person would have gone to the doctor. If only I would have acted this way around that guy. If only I would have not said, said this to my boss this way. And then finally, acceptance. Um, Again, God is in control, but really understanding that God is in control. Or I can get through this, or basically I need help. I need support. Help me. Um, So the the person, the character in the Bible we're going to focus on today is Job. Job's the homie. So um, in the Bible, Job says, it says that Job was wealthy He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he was basically like the Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, you know, of the community back then. And then it also says, he feared God and shunned evil. And then God even called him blameless and an upright man. So he was like, he was like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and like Gandhi, you know. He was like all these, you know, amazing, perfect man. So again the bad things that happened to this good man. So it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, you did something wrong, so you deserve that. You deserve to get, you know, heartbroken. You deserve to get fired. You deserve to get sick. Um, But he didn't deserve any of that. He lost all his wealth in a matter of a day. He lost all his wealth. Some natural disaster killed his ten children. He lost his health. He was filled with boils and sores, and he, you know, couldn't. he was in pain all the time. But in all of this, he never blamed God. He had his friends saying, well, you must have made a mistake. You're being punished by God. His wife was like, just deny God, blame God, just, you know, forget about God. Um, And so he's like, woman, you're crazy. (laughs) So let's talk about being a Christian and grief. Because, you know, we've got, so how do we respond to grief? So common responses in the world, you know, addiction to drugs, alcohol, TV, work, food, medication, etc. So those are all things that, you know, on average people turn to, to basically not deal with, with the loss. But one common Christian response to loss is denial. <laughs> and I mentioned this before when people are like, but God is in control. There's a reason for everything. And I'll go into that in more detail. And I'm not making light. I'm just, this is just how we are. <laughs> And tonight we're going to start dealing. So we deal with pain by not dealing with pain. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, so I'll show you. I'll show you. I need to deny myself and give even though I'm grieving a loss. God is in control and will take care of me. It could have been worse. I just need to stay busy so I don't think about it. I probably deserve this. And then Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 4, it says, There is a time for everything. Wait. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So there is time to mourn and weep, you guys. One of my favorite books right now is um, The Fault in Our Stars. The movie's coming out soon. My favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes out of many in the book is, my friends know this, I say all the time. That's the thing about pain. It demands to be felt. We can't hide the pain. 
we cannot deny the pain. We need to feel the pain. That's what it's there for. The more, that's why people turn to alcoholism and drugs and all these things work to keep themselves busy to not deal with what's really going on. And that just makes it even worse in the end. You end up in self-destructive relationships or behaviors. Um, and as Christians, you know, we just can go on and be the self-righteous sister who's like, it's going to be okay, but you're not being real with what's going on. So some of the... Some of the um, defenses that the book, defense mechanisms the book talk about. First one, obviously, is denial. I feel fine. It doesn't bother me that I got fired. Something better is coming along. Um, minimizing. I'm a bit hurt by my friend, but we'll be okay. She's just going through some stuff. When in reality, she's been gossip- gossiping about you to all of your other friends. Blaming others. The reason my mom is sick is because the doctors don't know what they're doing. How many times have we thought that? or I'm sick, or my son's sick, or whoever's sick. Blaming yourself. I wonder if there's something wrong with me since none of the brothers seem to ask me on dates. Think about it. (laughs) Rationalizing. Oh, well, in my family, we say what we think, so I just consider myself to be a very blunt person. That's just me. That's my personality. (laughs) Intellectualizing. Well, at least I'm not going through what others are going through. I should be grateful. People have it worse than I do. Although true, but um, distracting. Stop being such a downer. Didn't we have fun that one time? So basically distracting the person from dealing with their grief. And then lastly, becoming hostile. Talking about it won't bring him or her back from the dead. Snapping. So what do we do? Pay attention and deal with it. So, let's talk about Job again, our buddy Job. Job, although he didn't blame God, Job got angry. (laughs) These are some of the things he said to God. He cursed the day he was born. Why? He shouted at God. (laughs) He prayed wild prayers. Have you ever prayed a wild prayer? They're the best. (laughs) He doubted. He wept. And he confronted confronted the horror of his predicament and did not avoid it. He didn't avoid what was going on. He didn't deny God. He didn't blame God, but he was real with God. He said, God, why me? What have I done? All my friends are telling me that I'm being punished. What have I done? I've been faithful to you. I've done this. I've done that. Why me? It's okay to question God, guys. It's okay. He can, and we'll talk about that. Anger. Oh, and the next point. Grieving is not possible without paying attention to our anger and sadness. So as disciples, we were like, okay, I just need to deny myself and just put on a happy face. That's not necessarily dealing. <laughs> That's just hiding. <laughs> um, and think about it. Anger is an emotion. It's not a sin. Now, anger, if not dealt with, can lead to sin. It's better to express feelings like of anger and sadness than to become this passive-aggressive person like, oh, look at that person, oh, blah, 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 like a bitter person, because it's there. That becomes sin. Um, That person's so happy all the time. Look at them dealing with their pain. How come they're not grieving as much as I am? Uh, These are real thoughts, guys. (laughs) I'm guilty. Um... 
It's okay. God can handle it. He knows. He's not blind. He's not deaf. He can hear you. Think about it. All the grief and loss in the Bible. First, the book of Psalms is two-thirds of laments and complaints to God. Why have you forsaken me, God? Why are my enemies after me? Why do I want the world? Why, why, why? Why do they get, why, do the, why does the world get to have riches and wealth and here I am trying so hard to be faithful and yet I have nothing? God grieves for having created humanity. Remember that? Remember the flood? He's like, oh, why did I create humans? They're so wicked and evil. And he created the flood. But he saved the righteous ones. And here we are. He didn't do it again. Um, David, he grieved for Saul and Jonathan, his best friend. Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote the book called Lamentations. Talk about grieving, dealing. One of my favorites is Jesus wept over Lazarus, knowing he would raise him from the dead. I love that. That Every time I read that, I'm like, man... He didn't, he didn't shed a tear. He didn't go there and say, guys, I got this. I'm going to raise it from the dead. No, he wept. Have you ever wept? It's like ugly. <laughs> it's painful. It's like you feel it in the bottom of your soul. It's like, you know, maybe not in front of people you've wept with in your bed at night. Sometimes when you think about things, like the, it just, the tears just come out. And there's, like, sounds and mucus all over the place. I mean, so Jesus wasn't like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to raise him from the dead. No, he wept because he saw them. He had compassion. He was like, I am here with you. I am weeping with you, um, which I think is pretty powerful. That just shows us who Jesus was. Jesus grieved for Jerusalem, you know. He, yeah, he, he grieved a lot. <laughs> I didn't include it here, but he also grieved over his um, cousin, I think it was, John the Baptist, who, when he was beheaded. You know, so he had his moments. Um, one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to grief and loss is, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's a, that's a promise. That's something that we have. We have that God. That's what separates us from many people is the fact that we have God. <laughs> That's what I tell people when they're going through, when disciples, when they're going through depression or anything. Yeah, I'm not going to be like, that's okay, God's in control. I'm just like, the cool thing is that you have God. <laughs> I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians. And I think this will be on the website, this PowerPoint. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, in verses 3 through 7. Just look at the title. It's to the God of all comfort. Um, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance, of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. God is there to provide comfort. 
God is there to share your sufferings. God suffers with and for you. So even when you don't realize you're suffering, he's suffering for you. He's right there with you. He's crying. He's weeping for you. He understands what you're going through when no one else does. Because I know many times we feel like, no one gets it. No one understands the pain that I feel. Why talk about it? Why pray about it? God does. God witnessed his son being crucified and beat. I mean, I know we're all singles here and many of us don't have children, but I'm sure we have people enough that we love that we would just break down if we witnessed them getting beat and killed just for being that person, not for anything that they did wrong, right? So imagine how God felt. And he feels, I mean, he gave us, he made us in his likeness. He gave us those emotions. Therefore, he probably felt them even more than we would feel it, you know? I have two nieces um, most of you know Ruben and Marina and their girls, Belle and Rocky. And every time I think about losing them, I just, I can't even handle it, you know? Because of what I deal with on a daily basis, I see what these kids go through, the same ages as my little nieces, and I'm like, man, I cannot even imagine what that would feel like if my nieces went through what these kids have gone through. Although kids are pretty resilient. It's the parents who freak out. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but um, even on a side note, I even had a dream last night um, where they were, they were being, like, they were being abducted. And, <laughs> I, okay, that's my friends. I have really weird dreams. But that they were being abducted and there's nothing I could do about it. And I woke up just like, what? <gasps> my babies. Anyway, so... Bottom line is, God is there. God comforts us. Let's go to God. So how do we deal? Bianca, how do we deal? How do we deal with grief? I mean, what are you talking about? Speak up. First things first, be honest with yourself and God about how you really feel. That's pretty hard. That takes time. When you deal with something, when you're, when you're going through something, you just, gotta go to God and be like, okay, God, I'm really angry right now. I hate this. This sucks. Um, pray, especially when you don't want to pray. That's pretty self-explanatory. Ask for help from those you trust most and be honest with them if their help makes you feel worse. And the next slide, I'll um, go through a list of things to say and not say to someone who's grieving. Um, but even asking for help, go to therapy. There's plenty of support groups, you know, but we also have each other, which is the best. Um, don't ever compare your loss to someone else's. It's not the same. I got fired today. Oh, yeah, I remember when I got fired. <laughs> or... Oh, yeah, my heart was broken, but at least he didn't cheat on me. It's like, no, 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 it's different. It's different. You're going through something different than somebody else. You can't say, oh, well, I totally understand that person. No, you don't. We all deal differently. God created us differently, but we all have each other to help each other. Be sensitive and compassionate to others suffering a loss. Don't be like, deny yourself, sister. Um, <laughs> so 
seriously, having all these friends that have lost a lot of people, I mean, I've, I've had to learn over the years, like, what to say and what not to say because, first of all, half the time I'm like, I don't even know what to say because, again, everybody's different and everybody deals differently. Me, on a personal note, I don't deal well with death or loss or anything. I just kind of, like, withdraw and isolate myself. So I had to force myself to deal with it and talk about it. That's just personal. And then there's no excuse for sin. Job didn't sin against God, but he went to God. He was angry, but he didn't turn to sin. So you can't say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm grieving, so I'm going to go get drunk. Or I'm grieving, so I'm going to go and party and do drugs and hook up all these guys. You know, like, it's, it's not, that's not the solution. That's not, that's just making excuses to not deal with your your grief, with your loss. So here we go. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did God allow this to happen? So Job spends the whole time like, why, God, why? I cursed the day that I was born. So God's response, I want you guys to write this down, Job chapters 38 to 41, God pretty much breaks him off a piece. He's like, okay, so let me ask you questions now. Were you there when I did this and did that? Do you, did you create the earth? Were you there when I did this? How dare you question me? <laughs> so read that and just kind of think of like the powerful, you know, voice of God saying these things to Job. Like, and he, one of the first things he says, he's like, um, he says something like, brace yourself like a man for, you know, whatever. Talk to Reuben Deanda. He does this, a good imitation of this. Um, <laughs> so, here's a list. I added it to tonight. Just a few things. So, some of the worst things to say to somebody. At least she lived a long life. Many people die young. She, he's in a better place. She brought this on herself. There's a reason for everything. Aren't you over him yet? He's been dead for a while. Can you believe people actually say this? There are more fish in the sea, you know, for somebody who's gotten their heart broken. She was such a good person. God wanted her to be with him. Doesn't that make you, like, be like, God, why did you have to take her? Um, I know how you feel. No, you don't. Uh, <laughs> she did what she came here to do, and it was her time to go. Be strong. All right, so some good things to say to somebody who's going through a loss. I'm sorry for your loss. That's pretty much, you know, sums it all up because we do. We feel bad. It's awful. I wish I had the right words. Just know that I care. You know, sometimes no words is even better. I don't know how you feel, but I'm here to help in any way I can. Um, You and your loved ones will be in my thoughts and prayers. My favorite memory of a loved one is, you know, make it light, make it fun. Like, I love this about this person. I'm going to miss this about this person. Um, I'm always a phone call away. Uh, And sometimes just give them a hug. Or just sit there, be with them. You know, just sit there. <laughs> and let them come to their own. Again, this is not, this is just like a list I got off like BuzzFeed or something, you know. But I'm guessing a lot of people feel this way when they go through a loss. So finally, acceptance. So after God goes off on, on Job, Job finally finishes and responds to God. And he says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, 
Who is this that obscures my counsel with my, without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. And another scripture I love. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad I'm not God. <laughs> I'm grateful I don't have to know all the things that he knows. Um, my small little, you know, we use 10% of our brains. Um, I don't think it would handle like a tiny piece of what God knows. <laughs> so the bottom line is he can handle your anger and sadness. God gave you those emotions when he created you in his likeness, meaning God feels the same things we feel, so he definitely understands. So over everything, just go to God. And God has put people in your life to use to be able to be there for you. But feel the pain. Deal with the pain. Don't ignore the pain. I know that's probably revolutionary for us disciples, but, you know, it's important because that's how we can heal faster. All right? Amen. Thank you. are you ladies this evening? I hope you got some rest because you're getting a double dose, right? I know she talked about grief and loss, and now we're going to talk about slowing down some. Thank you. Thank you. I'm five foot two, so I need, I need a little bit of help here. So from the same book, right, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, I'm going to focus on what is Chapter 8. I do encourage you to read it on your own. And uh, one of the sub-themes under Chapter 8 is stopping to breathe the air of eternity. And so it really got me to think about um, where we live as a, you know, where we live in Los Angeles. And one of the questions that the author poses is, how can we worship God in New York City, Right. And I thought the same thing about Los Angeles. What are the challenges of worshiping God and slowing down here in L.A.? Okay. So I'm going to say something similar to what Bianca said. I, myself, am a work in progress, so I don't have this under control. It's not, it's not my uh, expertise, but it's something that I'm working Everybody okay? If you weren't awake, now you are. Okay. So, um, again, it's very rich material, so if you get a chance to read it on your own, if you haven't, please, please do. Okay. So my first point is it's overwhelming out here. Okay? And it's not written on there, but it's really overwhelming here in L.A. Um, I want you to think about what are some of the things that um, are distractions here in L.A. And if you have a pen, um, please write down what some of those distractions are to you here. 
Um, so I, I was focused on two things in terms of distractions. One is personal distractions, and one of them was cultural distractions. Um, and personal can be work or whatever, whatever is distracting to you, but um, on a cultural level, I think we're just fast-paced individuals here in L.A. Would you agree? I've lived in other parts of the states, and it's just not like that. You know, people take, um, take breaks during the day. I lived in Europe for about three years, and they close their shops from, like, 12 to, like, maybe even 5 or 6 p.m., and then from 6 to maybe 9, um, they resume. But So they have a five-hour gap to have meals with families, with their families to slow down. To, they call it a siesta to take a nap, right? How many of you do that in the middle of the day? None of us, really. Okay. Oh, one person. One person. Okay. So I want to focus on an analogy he gave, which I thought was a really great analogy. He called it um, the blizzard and the rope. And so one of the things he talked about was, um, some of you that are from back east can probably relate to this, um, that folks who need to go to their backyard or their garage or their shed or wherever um, during a blizzard actually tie a rope to the back to their back door, use it to kind of figure out, you know, how far out they're going, and then come back using that rope back into their home. And so he was describing how God is that rope. And if we don't have that rope, anything goes, right? In a blizzard, if you've ever been in one, and I, I've experienced one in my lifetime, you can't even see, like, your hand in front of your face. Right, so he described how some individuals in blizzards actually die out in just a few feet away from their front, from their back porch door, because they can't see. And so he basically, the author uh, of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, talked about how God is our rope to get back home. Right, and if we don't have that, we can get distracted and caught up with um, all the little, you know snow or whatever is in the blizzard, I mean trash, whatever's in part of, part of the blizzard, uh, we can get lost with that. Um, one of the things I was thinking about as I was um, planning for this was the word churchgoer came to my mind. Um, and I thought about how, like the blizzard, we can get caught up in doing things, just doing, right? So we serve here, we serve there. Um, and the scripture that came to mind also as I was thinking about this earlier today was uh, Matthew 7:23, where God says to people, I never knew you, right? And so like the blizzard, we can get caught up in doing, attending, um, serving, which is not a bad thing, but we can be action-oriented instead of really holding on to that rope that's going to bring us home, right? Okay. So um, I wrote down here, our culture admires accomplishing. Anybody feel pressured to accomplish more? When are you going to, you know, go up for that promotion? Or Personally, I just added eight more hours to my work schedule. Um, and so I feel like, um, what's the word I want to use here? We're always being called to the next bar up, to the next. Um, and so uh, unlike Europe, if we're trying to relax, uh, what is that seen as? It, lazy, right? So, again, we're looking at cultural factors here because um, in other countries you probably get a thumbs up for taking care of yourself. But here in California particularly, it's a no-no, right? What do you mean you took 20 minutes? You could have been doing this, this, and this, right? Um, and so if you're looking at the paper I wrote, we're overscheduled, frantic, exhausted, starved for time, and addicted to hurry, 
which, was re- which really resonated with me because I work for the addiction medicine department of Kaiser, and I deal with substance addictions. But when I thought about addicted to time, to, I'm sorry, addicted to hurry, what is, what is that, right? And so what it basically is is we like the rush. There's some, some kind of rush or, or we feel a high very similar to substances. And My gosh, maybe it's me. Okay, and feeling like, okay, I have to be there and there. Would anybody describe themselves as multitaskers? Okay, right, okay. So that's a, that, I don't know if that's a female thing or what, right? But we're used to having baby, whether it's your baby or someone else's baby, on your hip, you're uh, vacuuming with your leg, stirring the pot, and talking on the phone, right? We're notorious for that. And, and in our culture, that's valued as something amazing, um, but at the same time, then we can't really be focused on one thing. So if I'm having my quiet time and trying to text and, you know, stirring the oatmeal, then chances are I'm not getting, you know, some deep time with God. Um, so just things to think about. Again, I'm not an expert. This is something that I struggle with. Um, and so I'm just sharing a little bit about when I was asked to speak about this, some of the things that came to my heart. Um, on your own time, if you can write down maybe what are the challenges of following Jesus in L.A., right, which we talked about are cultural things, um, and then where, to really sit down and maybe think about where is my time spent. Obviously, we t- spend time sleeping and we spend time at work, but what are we doing with our other time, right? So we don't just want to be busy bees. We also want to be able to slow down and really focus on God. Um, so, again, using the analogy of the rope, Um, The author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality talked about the ropes that we're using now. He called them inadequate. Whatever we're doing now, he found that it's not really working for us. And I'll read a little quote. Um, I can't find my... I'll read a little quote from his book. Um, Thank you. Okay, he wrote... um, So think about your own quiet time as I'm reading this, okay? Because most of us have a quiet time either in the morning or at night. So think about why he would be suggesting that what we're doing now isn't really working. He wrote, within a couple of hours after being with God in the morning, I easily forget God was active in my everyday affairs. By lunch, I was grumpy and short with people. By late afternoon, God's presence disappeared from my consciousness. By the time dinner was over, he felt a long way off. After observing my behavior for a couple of hours, my wife and children were also wondering, what happened to Dad's Christianity? (laughs) And by 9 o'clock that night, I was asking myself the very same question, right? So what he's saying is these little spurts are not enough. Um, And one of the things he suggested, he brought up a book that, that I have read before. I don't know how many of you have seen this book, Practicing His Presence. Anybody seen this book before? Okay. And so he, he, uh, he alluded to the book, and he talked about these little spurts of God that we're, you know, inserting into our very busy, chaotic, multitasking life. Um, he's suggesting that that's not enough, that we have to develop other ropes um, to get to God. And one of the things he's suggesting is to, what the book says, practice God's presence throughout the day. So he talked about eliminating the division between our secular and spiritual lives and just making it one big spiritual day after day after day, which equals a life. 
Um, and so I wrote down here in the, in the paper that I handed to you guys that all, all the time we have is his anyway, right? There's not a part that I can say, well, that's God's piece and this is mine. It's God's time anyway. And so the goal would be developing an ongoing communication with God. Because um, he describes it, you know, so what we're doing now, he described it basically like the way we brush our teeth. So we brush our teeth in the morning, middle of the day, and night. He, he describes that as not enough. So maybe practicing, uh, um, practicing talking to God while we're in the car or in the shower or, you know, mowing the lawn, which I do. Um, and so he just described, you know, this ongoing consciousness on our part to communicate with God. And it doesn't have to be, you know, big major prayers, but just like, oh, my gosh, God, could you please be with me as I'm doing this? Or, or hey, I really like the chirping of that bird. So just an ongoing communication we, like we would have with somebody that would be next to us. Okay. Um, so... He gave two major examples of how we can practice having God present in our life on an ongoing basis. One of them is daily, right, of course. Um, and there's little uh, practicals there, which I won't go into. Um, but the, the one that stood out to me the most is that as women, I feel like we think that if I'm not there, this is not going to end well. It's going to be disastrous if I don't show up. I have to be at that baby shower at that, you know, wedding shower. I have to be in that meeting. Um, and so he talked about God will still run the world without me and without you, right? Not only that, but in, in a larger sense, the world will still keep running and not to, you know, be grim or anything. Even when we die, the world will still keep going. So he's encouraging us to really seize the moment, to really connect with God, um, and that these are the larger things will handle themselves. Um, in, terms of, um, in terms of scriptures, if we can um, turn to um, Mark 135, or just jot it down. But basically, you know, Jesus went to a solitary place where he prayed. Um, and so the author, again, is talking about stopping what we're doing, stopping all the noise, even stopping things that are going on in our brain. Some of us... Again, I think it's a product of our culture here in L.A., but our brain is going all the time. I have never in my life seen so many anxiety disorders come to our office. I mean, everybody has this issue plus anxiety. So whatever it is, I'm depressed and anxious. I, you know, substance abuse and anxious. I just had a loss and I'm anxious. Everything is anxiety. And I think it's a product of never slowing our nervous system down. Um, okay. So, again, if Jesus did it and he's our model, then um, I think it would be important to turn off the cell phone. Uh, it's really hard to do, right, you guys? We're like, oh, one more thing. I just have to make sure this one person, you know, wrote me back. Um, but so turning off everything. And it's really hard for some people to do. I have people coming to our office daily who say to me, I leave my TV on all night. And I can only imagine what that does to the nervous system, right? There's always some kind of... Something in the background. Okay. All righty. So, again, he gave examples of how to stop throughout the day. Um, but one of the biggest pushes that he gave was to really honor the Sabbath, which, I, again, if we're looking at our culture, we do not honor that. Sunday is really a day to catch up on work. Well, think about what you guys do on Sunday. So we, we, most of us come to church, right? And then what happens? Think about what you do after. 
Can someone share what they, what they usually do Sunday? Laundry, okay. Grocery shopping, bills, catch up on work, right? So I didn't hear in there anybody say rest. Take a nap, okay, good. Take a nap, okay, all right. But again, you know, um, the author looked at the Ten Commandments, and one of the things that struck me was that the commandment to keep the Sabbath was the longest paragraph in there. Other things said, honor your mother and father. Great, that's self-explanatory. But he really gave a reason in there um, so that we can slow down and and connect with God. And in Genesis, uh, let me see. In Genesis 2 and in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, God gives an example of how he rested on the seventh day. After he, you know, after he worked hard and created things, um, animals, the, you know, the oceans and everything, um, he also rested. So if God needed to rest, and we're a million times, um, I can't even think of the word. We're like an ant compared to like a hippo. Or I, I mean, I can't even. That's, where, that's the only way my brain can kind of calculate this. But um, if he needed to rest, then how much more do we, right? And so, again, he talked about how to connect with God on a daily basis, which the, some practicals are there, just being silent and uh, taking time to stop and refocus on God. Uh, but the Sabbath... Um, he, you know, he really dug in and said, um, no projects. This is what the author is saying as he, as he, you know, contemplates um, what, um, what it means to, you know, to uphold the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Um, he said, no projects, no paying bills. So those of you that mentioned laundry and bills, something to, t- something to think about, right? Um, and it really should be a day to replenish ourselves, to be in communion with God, um, to really look at creation and see how wonderful he is, to meditate and contemplate who he is. Um, okay. And, you know, the, one of the other things, again, relating to culture is that we can't even honor special days on our own calendar. I was thinking about Thanksgiving and how Thanksgiving, which is a day to be with family, is overshadowed by hurry up and eat the turkey because we have to be at, you know, the 5 p.m. Uh, Black Friday thing. And it used to be... No, it's crazy, you guys. The more I think about it, right? So it used to be midnight, and now it inched its way to 10 p.m. and 8 p.m. I mean, really, it's going to be 8 a.m. Christmas Day if we allow it, right? Same thing with Christmas, the day that we really, you know, as Christians, think about Christ and his birth. The world, our culture here, is focused on, you know, um, I have to go buy the newest gadget, or one, one year, to my horror, um, they were talking about hurry up and come in and, you know, you get two, 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 facial, um, two works, plastic surgery works done for the price of one for Christmas to give to your loved one. And I'm like, I'm moving out of L.A. I'm done. That's it. I mean, really, right? I, like, had to turn off the radio and, like, really think about I'm living among aliens here. It's what it felt like. Okay. All right, so in the spirit of slowing down, one of the things I do at my job is I work with a lot of women, and women tend to be, again, um, just uh, multitaskers. We're always on the go. Even if we're sitting down, I hope none of, I hope none of you are thinking about the next thing you're going to do while I'm speaking, but it's possible. 
Um, so in the spirit of slowing down, we're actually going to do a little breathing exercise for about five minutes. So get comfortable. I'm going to walk you through some stuff. Um, and hopefully, um, hopefully we'll feel a little more centered by the time we leave here. So we'll do a breathing exercise for like five minutes, and then I'll, and then I'll end, up, end out with a prayer. Okay? I'm going to encourage you guys to sit back in your chairs best, as best as you can. Um, make sure your back feels supported. Yeah, if you need to move, there's, there's uh, plenty of space. Make sure your back feels supported. Make sure your arms and legs are in a comfortable position. Uh, it usually helps if you close your eyes because then that way you can tune out the movement near you and you're not focused on me um, talking. You're focused on your own inner process. Okay, again, make sure your back feels supported. We don't want you leaving here with injuries. Uh, make sure your arms, legs... Um, are comfortable. Pay attention to your shoulders. We want these to be in a relaxed position. And I'm going to encourage you guys to take a deep breath, inhaling and exhaling. You should feel a little bit of a wind as you're exhaling. Again, we're inhaling deeply. Think about what the word profound means. And exhale. Okay, really pay attention to what it feels like to be in your body this moment to slow down which is something very rare in our lives again we're inhaling and exhaling and as we're doing this I want you to think about the qualities of God that you appreciate the most okay some of them could be that he's an amazing healer it could be that he's constant Think about words like wonderful, majestic, omnipresent. He knows everything that's going to go on after we leave here and for a million years after. Okay, think about how good he's been to you. Think about what he has saved each and every one of us from. Okay, because I believe that all of us have been spared from something. Think about how he comes through in a way that no human being could ever come through. Think about how he knows your needs and how he formed you. He knows every little thing about you. Even the mole behind your knee that you hate. Everything. He knows everything about you. Not only does he know everything about you, but he wants good things for you. Okay, we're still inhaling and exhaling. Again, inhaling and exhaling. Really experience what it feels like to slow down, like completely. If you feel like there's a thought that's trying to take over your mind or a worry, I'm going to encourage you to snatch it and sit it on the person's lap next to you. You don't want it. Okay, pass it on. You don't want it. Okay, really be in the moment. Okay, I'm going to walk you through one more little short thing. If you uh, can use your imagination for this, and then we will end in a prayer as soon as we're done with this. I want you to focus on uh, taking yourself 
at least in your imagination, to the beach. Okay, pay attention to, we're going to pretend that you're barefoot and that your feet are touching the sand. Only you know whether the sand is wet or grainy or whether it's pebbles. But touch it with your feet and really feel what it feels like. Okay, I want you to take in the color of the ocean. Is it gray or blue or clear or turquoise or teal? What color is it? Visualize that and take in a whiff of the salty air as you're inhaling and exhaling. Look around you. Ask yourself whether there are birds or trees or anything else in your surrounding. Pay attention to whether there's other people there or whether you're alone. Listen to the ocean as it goes uh, as the waves go out and retract and come closer to you and then go far off again. Listen to the noise that it's making. Again, really pay attention to what it feels like to be in your body as we're doing this, as we're slowing down. Okay, again, take in all the sights, the sounds, the smells, Feel free to touch the sand with your hands. As you're standing there, I want you to visualize that there's a boat not too far off, maybe a few minutes off, and you get really curious about what that boat is doing there. Well, my job tonight is to tell you that there's a message on that boat for you. Okay, and it's slowly going to make its way closer and closer to you. You just have to be a little bit patient and stand still. It eventually arrives as close as it's going to get to you. And the messenger can be in the form of a person, a piece of paper, an unspoken word. Whatever it is, I want you to receive that message right now. What is the messenger trying to tell you about something that's going on in your life as it pertains to God? Maybe the message is to slow down. We don't know. But the message is very specific for each of you. Okay, so if you were able to receive a message, I want you to say it again in your brain. This is my message, and say it in your brain. Okay, the messenger is going to go off and handle other missions and do other things, but not before they gave you some important piece an important piece of information. Hold on to it. If you were able to hear something, it's probably what you needed to hear tonight. So we're going to spend maybe the next um, 45 seconds inhaling and exhaling deeply. I will give you a little warning when it's time to come back. And then we will end with a prayer, and then you can talk to the person next to you about what your experience was and whether or not you were able to receive a message. Enjoy your 45 seconds.
Okay, maybe another 15 seconds or so. Please take a couple of really great breaths in that time. And then when you're good and ready, please join us back in the room. How many people were able to receive some kind of message? Okay. So a good portion of you. I just want to let you know this is not a magic trick or anything funky that I've replaced in your brain. What it is, is when we're able to slow down enough, our body's telling us something. Um, something that's very particular to us. Our brain is telling us something. And so it usually comes in the form of an encouragement or something that we need to change. So it's not something mystical. It's your, it's your own brain that's telling you this. Okay, and so um, I'm going to end with a prayer, and then if you can talk about this experience or what Bianca shared about grief, anything you want to talk about with the person next to you or even in your small groups about what you learned tonight um, after, after I end with a prayer. If you ladies can bow your heads with me. Father God, just thank you for being with us tonight, God. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for the friendships that we share, God. Thank you for um, some of the insight that was shared, God, and, it, and it's all from you. I pray that we can really uh, go home and think about what these two themes or topics mean to us, God. Uh, maybe we need to deal with one over the other or both. Um, but grief is something that will occur in each and every one of our lives, God. I, we just pray that you be with us uh, when we are having that experience and that you help us navigate in a healthy way. Um, I also pray for um, this idea of slowing down in the middle of a very chaotic city, God. Please teach us and guide us um, in areas where we need to slow down. Maybe we overcommit or maybe we um, just, uh, just pile too much on our plates, God. So just really help us to evaluate where we are so that we are not churchgoers or church doers, but we're actually people who serve us who serve you with, with our heart, who want to connect with you, God, um, because it's more than attendance, as we know, uh, living the Christian life. It's more than Sunday attendance. It's more than doing. It's also uh, a daily connection with you, God, and I pray that we can have not just the daily connection, but that we can meditate on what the Sabbath meant, uh, how you implemented it. It was your idea, God, and how we can begin to honor the Sabbath and incorporate it in our lives. Uh, I just pray that um, the ladies here tonight will feel uh, invigorated, fortified, uh, maybe a little bit challenged as well, um, and that we can have great conversations that will continue on for the rest of the week and will spur us on to be the women that you want us to be, God. Thank you for your son, through whom all of this is possible, um, that we are saved and that uh, we can turn a new leaf, a new page every day of our lives thanks to you, God. Thank you for this amazing group of women. It's just such an honor to be here with them tonight. We love you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.